Part three of the old man's. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Neufeld. Mosses from an old man's and other stories by Nathaniel Hawthorne. The old man's, part three. If ever my readers should decide to give up civilized life, cities, houses, and whatever moral or material enormities, in addition to these, the perverted ingenuity of our race has contrived, let it be in the early autumn. Then nature will love him better than at any other season, and will take him to her bosom with a more motherly tenderness. I could scarcely endure the roof of the old house above me in those first autumnal days. How early in the summer, too, the prophecy of autumn comes, earlier in some years than in others, sometimes even in the first weeks of July. There is no other feeling like what is caused by this faint, doubtful, yet real perception, if it be not rather a foreboding of the year's decay so blessedly sweet and sad in the same breath. Did I say there was no feeling like it? Ah, but there is a half-acknowledged melancholy like to this, when we stand in the perfected vigor of our life, and feel that time has now given us all his flowers, and that the next work of his never-idle fingers must be to steal them one by one away. I have forgotten whether the song of the cricket be not as early a token of autumn's approach as any other, that song which may be called an audible stillness, for though very loud and heard afar, yet the mind does not take of it as a sound, so completely is its individual existence merged among the accompanying characteristics of the season. Alas for the pleasant summer-time! In August the grass is still verdant on the hills and in the valleys, the foliage of the trees is as dense as ever and as green, the flowers gleam forth in richer abundance along the margin of the river, and by the stone walls and deep among the woods. The days, too, are as fervid now as they were a month ago, and yet, in every breath of wind and in every beam of sunshine, we hear the whispered farewell and behold the parting smile of a dear friend. There is coolness amid all the heat, a mildness in the blazing noon. Not a breeze can stir, but it thrills us with the breath of autumn. A pensive glory is seen in the far golden gleams among the shadows of the trees. The flowers, even the brightest of them, and they are the most gorgeous of the year, have this gentle sadness wedded to their pomp, and typify the character of the delicious time, each within itself. The brilliant cardinal flower has never seemed gay to me. Still later in the season, nature's tenderness waxes stronger. It is impossible not to be fond of our mother now, for she is so fond of us. At other periods she does not make this impression on me, or only at rare intervals, but in these genial days of autumn, when she has perfected her harvests and accomplished every needful thing that was given her to do, then she overflows with a blessed superfluity of love. She has leisure to caress her children now. It is good to be alive at such times. 
Thank heaven for breath, yes, for mere breath, when it is made up of a heavenly breeze like this. It comes with a real kiss upon our cheeks. It would linger fondly around us, if it might. But since it must be gone, it embraces us with its whole kindly heart, and passes onward, to embrace likewise the next thing that it meets. A blessing is flung abroad and scattered far and wide over the earth, to be gathered up by all who choose. I recline upon the still unwithered grass, and whisper to myself, O oh, perfect day, O oh, beautiful world, O oh, beneficent God! And it is the promise of a blissful eternity, for our Creator would never have made such lovely days, and have given us the deep hearts to enjoy them, above and beyond all thought, unless we were meant to be immortal. This sunshine is the golden pledge thereof. It beams through the gates of paradise, and shows us glimpses far inward. By and by, in a little time, the outward world puts on a drear austerity. On some October morning there is a heavy hoar-frost on the grass, and along the tops of the fences, and at sunrise the leaves fall from the trees of our avenue without a breath of wind, quietly descending by their own weight. All summer long they have murmured like the noise of waters, they have roared loudly while the branches were wrestling with the thunder-gust, they have made music both glad and solemn, they have attuned my thoughts by their quiet sound as I paced to and fro beneath the arch of intermingling boughs. Now they can only rustle under my feet. Henceforth the grey parsonage begins to assume a larger importance, and draws to its fireside, for the abomination of the air-tight stove is reserved till wintry weather, draws closer and closer to its fireside the vagrant impulses that have gone wandering about through the summer. When summer was dead and buried, the old manse became as lonely as a hermitage. Not that ever, in my time at least, it had been thronged with company, but at no rare intervals we welcomed some friend out of the dusty glare and tumult of the world, and rejoiced to share with them the transparent obscurity that was flung over us. In one respect, our precincts were like the enchanted ground through which the pilgrim travelled on his way to the celestial city. The guests, each and all, felt a slumberous influence upon them. They fell asleep in chairs, or took a more deliberate siesta on the sofa, or were seen stretched among the shadows of the orchard, looking up dreamily through the boughs. They could not have paid a more acceptable compliment to my abode nor to my own qualities as a host. I held it as a proof that they left their cares behind them, as they passed between the stone gate-posts at the entrance of our avenue, and that the so powerful opiate was the abundance of peace and quiet, within and all around us. Others could give them pleasure and amusement or instruction. These could be picked up anywhere, but it was for me to give them rest rest in a life of trouble. What better could be done for those weary and world-worn spirits, 
for him whose career of perpetual action was impeded and harassed by the rarest of his powers and the richest of his acquirements for another who had thrown his ardent heart from earliest youth into the strife of politics and now perchance began to suspect that one lifetime is too brief for the accomplishment of any lofty aim for her on whose feminine nature had been imposed the heavy gift of intellectual power such as a strong man might have staggered under and with it the necessity to act upon the world in a word not to multiply instances what better could be done for anybody who came within our magic circle than to throw the spell of a tranquil spirit over him and when it had wrought its full effect then we dismissed him with but misty reminiscences as if he had been dreaming of us were i to adopt a pet idea as so many people do and fondle it in my embrace to the exclusion of all others it would be that the great want which mankind labours under at this present period is sleep the world should recline its vast head on the first convenient pillow and take an age-long nap it has gone distracted through a morbid activity and while preternaturally wide awake is nevertheless tormented by visions that seem real to it now but would assume their true aspect and character were all things once set right by an interval of sound repose this is the only method of getting rid of old delusions of an, and avoiding new ones of regenerating our race so that it might in due time awake as an infant out of dewy slumber of restoring to us the simple perception of what is right and the single-hearted desire to achieve it both of which have been lost in consequence of this weary activity of brain and torpor and passion of the heart that now afflicts the universe stimulants the only mode of treatment hitherto attempted cannot quell the disease they do but heighten the delirium let not the above paragraph ever be quoted against the author for though tinctured with its modicum of truth it is the result and expression of what he knew while he was writing to be but a distorted survey of the state and prospects of mankind there were circumstances around me which made it difficult to view the world precisely as it exists for serene and sober as was the old manse it was necessary to go but a little way beyond its threshold before meeting with stranger moral shapes of men than might have been encountered elsewhere in a circuit of a thousand miles these hobgoblins of flesh and blood were attracted thither by the wide-spreading influence of a great original thinker who had his earthly abode at the opposite extremity of our village his mind acted upon other minds of a certain constitution with wonderful magnetism and drew many men upon long pilgrimage to speak with him face to face young visionaries to whom just so much of insight had been imparted as to make life all a labyrinth around them came to seek the clue that should guide them out of their self-involved bewilderment gray-headed theorists whose systems at first air had finally imprisoned them in an iron framework travelled painfully to his door not to ask deliverance 
but to invite this free spirit into their own thraldom. People that had lighted on a new thought, or a thought they had fancied new, came to Emerson, as the finder of a glittering gem hastens to a lapidary, to ascertain its quality and value. Uncertain, troubled, earnest wanderers, through the midnight of the moral world, beheld his intellectual fire as a beacon burning on a hilltop, and climbing the difficult ascent, looked forth into the surrounding obscurity more hopefully than hitherto. The light revealed objects unseen before, mountains, gleaming lakes, glimpses of a creation among the chaos, but also, as was unavoidable, it attracted bats and owls, and the whole host of night-birds, which flapped their dusky wings against the gazer's eyes, and sometimes were mistaken for fowls of angelic feather. Such delusions always hover nigh, whenever a beacon-fire of truth is kindled. For myself there have been epics of my life, when I, too, might have asked of this prophet the master-word that should solve me the riddle of the universe. But now, being happy, I felt as if there were no question to be put, and therefore admired Emerson as a poet of deep beauty and austere tenderness, but sought nothing from him as a philosopher. It was good, nevertheless, to meet him in the wood-paths, or sometimes in our avenue, with that pure intellectual gleam diffused about his presence like the garment of a shining one. And he, so quiet, so simple, so without pretension, encountering each man alive as if expecting to receive more than he could impart. And in truth the heart of many an ordinary man had, perchance, inscriptions which he could not read but it was impossible to dwell in his vicinity without hailing more or less the mountain atmosphere of his lofty thought which in the brains of some people wrought a singular giddiness new truth being as heady as new wine never was a poor little country village infested with such a variety of queer strangely dressed oddly behaved mortals most of whom took upon themselves to be important agents of the world's destiny, yet were simple bores of a very intense water. Such, I imagine, is the invariable character of persons who crowd so closely about an original thinker as to draw in his unuttered breath and thus become imbued with a false originality. This triteness of novelty is enough to make any man, of common sense, blaspheme at all ideas of less than a century standing, and pray that the world may be petrified and rendered immovable in precisely the worst moral and physical state that it ever yet arrived at, rather than be benefited by such schemes of such philosophers. And now I begin to feel, and perhaps should have sooner felt, that we have talked enough of the old man's. Mine honoured reader, it may be, will vilify the poor author as an egotist, for babbling through so many pages about a moss-grown country parsonage, and his life within its walls and on the river and in the woods, and the influences that wrought upon him from all these sources. 
my conscience however does not reproach me with betraying anything too sacredly individual to be revealed by a human spirit to its brother or sister spirit how narrow how shallow and scanty too is the stream of thought that has been flowing from my pen compared with the broad tide of dim emotions ideas and associations which swell around me from that portion of my existence how little have i told and of that little how almost nothing is even tinctured with any quality that makes it exclusively my own has the reader gone wandering hand and hand with me through the inner passages of my being and have we groped together into all its chambers and examined their treasures or their rubbish not so we have been standing on the green sward but just within the cavern's mouth where the common sunshine is free to penetrate and where every footstep is therefore free to come i have appealed to no sentiment or sensibilities save such as are diffused among us all so far as i am a man of really individual attributes i veil my face nor am i nor have ever been one of those supremely hospitable people who serve up their own hearts delicately fried with a brain sauce as a tidbit for their beloved public glancing back over what i have written it seems but the scattered reminiscences of a single summer in fairyland there is no measurement of time and in a spot so sheltered from the turmoil of life's ocean three years hastened away with a noiseless flight as the breezy sunshine chases the cloud shadows across the depths of a still valley now came hints growing more and more distinct that the owner of the old house was pining for his native air carpenters next appeared making a tremendous racket among the outbuildings strewing the green grass with pine shavings and chips of chestnut joists and vexing the whole antiquity of the place with their discordant renovations soon moreover they divested our abode of the veil of woodbine which had crept over a large portion of its southern face all the aged mosses were cleaned unsparingly away and there were horrible whispers about brushing up the external walls with a coat of paint a purpose as little to my taste as might be that of rouging the venerable cheeks of one's grandmother but the hand that renovates is always more sacrilegious than that which destroys in fine we gathered up our household goods drank a farewell cup of tea in our pleasant little breakfast-room delicately fragrant tea an unpurchasable luxury one of the many angel gifts that had fallen like dew upon us and passed forth between the tall stone gate-posts as uncertain as the wandering arabs where our tent might next be pitched providence took me by the hand and an oddity of dispensation which i trust there is no irrelevance in smiling at has led me as the papers announce while i am writing from the old manse into a custom-house as a story-teller i have often contrived strange vicissitudes for my imaginary personages but none like this the treasure of intellectual gold which i hoped to find in our secluded dwelling 
had never come to light. No profound treatise of ethics, no philosophic history, no novel even, that could stand unsupported on its edges. All that I had to show, as a man of letters, were these few tales and essays, which had blossomed out like flowers in the calm summer of my heart and mind. Save editing, an easy task, the journal of my friend of many years, the African cruiser, I had done nothing else. With these idle weeds and withering blossoms, I have intermixed some that were produced long ago, old faded things, reminding me of flowers pressed between the leaves of a book, and now offered a bouquet, such as it is, to any whom it may please. These fitful sketches, with so little of external life about them, yet claiming no profundity of purpose, so reserved, even while they sometimes seem so frank, often but half in earnest, and never, even when most so, expressing satisfactorily the thoughts which they profess to image, such trifles, I truly feel, afford no solid basis for a literary reputation. Nevertheless, the public, if my limited number of readers, whom I venture to regard rather as a circle of friends, may be termed a public, will receive them the more kindly, as the last offering, the last collection of this nature which it is my purpose ever to put forth. Unless I could do better, I have done enough in this kind. For myself, the book will always retain one charm, as reminding me of the river, with its delightful solitudes, and of the avenue, the garden, the orchard, and especially the dear old manse, with the little study on its western side, and the sunshine glimmering through the willow branches while I wrote. Let the reader, if he will do me so much honour, imagine himself my guest, and that, having seen whatever may be worthy of notice within and about the old manse, he has finally been ushered into my study. There, after seating him in an antique elbow-chair, an heirloom of the house, I take forth a roll of manuscript, and entreat his attention to the following tales, an act of personal inhospitality, however, which I never was guilty of, nor ever will be, even to my worst enemy. End of The Old Man's